This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know, I think ever since you've come into office, things are really looking up. You know, gas is up, rent is up, food is up, <laughs> everything. No, it really has been. A tough first year for you, Mr. President. All right, people, we are back in business. I'm in studio in the free state of Florida. Today is May 2nd in the year 2022. I am still Dave Rubin. This is still the Rubin Report direct message. We are still live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Blaze TV. And I got to tell you, people, I am happy to be back in studio. The entire team is fired up and ready to go. I got to show you. I think this is our densest show ever. There are words on all of these pages of paper, okay? We are ready to go. Uh, as you know, I am back uh, from about 10 days on the road. We did a whole bunch of uh, sold out shows all over the country. The first leg of the Don't Burn This Country book tour, and it was awesome. And I just want to say for every single one of you that I met that came to a show that took the one second hug, a few of you took the two second. I know you did. I know you did. Some people would grab me and they wouldn't let go. They go, I know I'm getting an extra second. It was just great being out there. It was great laughing with you guys again, and it was jam-packed. Let's just get to some images. Let's, it was just a great night. That's Atlanta with the Willy Wonka of politics, Michael Malice. This is Yan Mee Park. This was our one afternoon show, uh, matinee show in Chicago. And Yan Mee, she goes from North Korea to a comedy club in Chicago, Illinois. It was awesome. Uh, I don't even know what night that is. That might be in Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's Dallas. And that is, what's that? That's uh, that's West Palm. That was opening night with Don Jr. in West Palm. And, and just hundreds of people at every event. The energy was awesome. People were laughing. I was throwing t-shirts into the crowd. People were going bananas. It was just absolutely great. Uh, we got a couple more tour stops coming up in uh, about a week and a half. I uh, will be in Brea, California with Dennis Prager, Larry Elder in Oxnard, California, Douglas Murray, San Jose, Blake Masters in Phoenix, Brian Callen in Denver. They're all almost close to sold out. Uh, so there's a couple tickets left. I think I'm pretty sure all the VIPs are already sold out. And th uh, that gives me an opportunity to make the big announcement. The big announcement. Are we ready for the big announcement? You guys in your chairs? Everyone's all right. I got a fist bump. I got a, I got a thumbs up. The big announcement. Now you may remember people that originally we were going to do, we were going to kick off the entire tour in Orlando, Florida. That was the original thing. And then I suddenly said, oh, but something's happening. We're going to have to move the date. Things are happening. A lot of people bought tickets. People were freaking out. They were, what happened, Dave? What's going on? Why aren't you going to Orlando? Now, if Dave Rubin says something and then Dave Rubin has to, you know, say, I'm going to be here on this given day. And then Dave Rubin moves that date. You know that Dave Rubin has got something up his sleeve. You know what Dave Rubin's got up his sleeve? Have you heard of this guy, Governor Ron DeSantis of the free state of Florida? Let's show them the image, people. That's right. Dave Rubin 
And Governor Ron DeSantis will be at the Plaza Live. It's a huge theater, about a thousand seats. Uh, June 2nd in Orlando, Florida. You can go to DaveRubin.com slash events to get tickets. And it is officially the last stop of the official tour. Uh, and the governor will be there with me. Look at those two smiles. Look at those guys. And maybe I'm going to say gay in front of him. Ah! People are going to freak out. It's very exciting. So yes, that is why we moved the Orlando date. I'm super psyched about this, obviously. So I'll do my usual spiel and get people laughing and all that good stuff. And then we're just going to have a completely no holds barred conversation uh, with the governor about absolutely everything. I think it's awesome that it just happened to work out that we're going to do this in Orlando. I mean, that is the home of the mouse, right? That is that is Disney, Orlando, Florida. So we're going right to the belly of the beast. That's by total coincidence, actually, too. Uh, we did not set it up that way, but it, the, the world works in mysterious ways, as they say. So I am super psyched. You can get your tickets, DaveRubin.com slash events. It is one month from today. We've known about it for a little while, but they do not release his schedule until one month before where he's going to be. So it is one month from today, June 2nd, in the year 2022, DeSantis, Rubin, they have made it very clear. I can ask him absolutely anything. There is nothing off limits. This is 100% live. We will be recording it and then airing it on the channel and all that good stuff. And, uh, and again, it was just so great being out there with you good people. And I have to say, a lot of people said to me, Dave, I miss you, miss you in studio, miss the show. I'd say, well, you're, you're with me right now. That's pretty good. Uh, but I too, I missed it, man. I, you know, every day I'm going through Twitter, whatever I'm doing online. And normally what I'm doing is I'm just sending my guys stuff for tomorrow's show. You know, here's a clip of Biden having a mental breakdown. Here's Kamala being stupid. Here's AOC's insane. Here's Nancy Pelosi should be put away. And, uh, and I had nothing to do with those clips because we didn't do shows. Although we did put up a bunch of best ofs. Uh, if you haven't seen them, we put up best of, of uh, Tucker Carlson, best of Jordan Peterson. I think we did a Shapiro and a couple others. And uh, that brings me to today's show because it is dense, as I said. A lot of paper here. I am super psyched. And I think I called this first. And, and I do want credit on this one. The day the book came out was right around when Elon Musk was starting to say he was going to buy Twitter. And I was saying... Something good is happening. We are seeing something be birthed right in front of our eyes, but you got to see it. And that thing is the post-woke world. And a lot of good stuff has happened in these last two weeks. Not only did Elon Musk get Twitter, last time I saw you guys in studio, he didn't officially have it. He got Twitter. The mask mandate on the planes went down. So I breathed freely on the planes. I didn't have to sip small amounts of hazelnut creamer. The, oh, I have to have it for four hours. Do you have French vanilla? I need that too. I was breathing freely. It was wonderful. Uh, good things are happening all over the place. Hit pieces aren't working anymore. There's, there's so much goodness. And that is my mission for the next 40 or so minutes with you fine people. Uh, and one more time, just throw up that image one more time. It's me. It's Ron DeSantis. It's June 2nd. It's going to be a bonanza blowout right in Mickey's backyard at the Plaza Live in Orlando. You can come see us. We have a similar, both of us do the, uh, the eyes squint a little on the smile thing there. That's, that, that'll be the theme 
of what we're doing over there. Very excited about all of this. And yes, I'm just super happy to be back in studio and I missed you guys too. And we got a big show for you. So here we go. Uh, first though, quick guys, I want to talk to you about Moink Box. I love meat. Did you know that? And I like knowing exactly where my meat comes from. And with Moink, that place is small family farms across the country. You can help save the family farm and get access to the highest quality meat on earth when you join the Moink movement today. That's Moo plus Oink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pasteurized pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. You choose the meat delivered in every box, plus you can cancel any time. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did, and as a result, the Moink difference is a difference you can taste because the family farm does it better. And you can feel good knowing you're helping family farms stay financially independent as well. Uh, I just made some of the bone-in ribeyes on the smoker, and man, they are good. And you know who agrees with me? Shark Tank host Kevin O'Leary. He called Moink's bacon the best bacon he's ever tasted. And Ring Doorbell founder Jamie Siminoff jumped at the chance to invest in Moink. Plus, they guarantee you'll say oink oink. How about that sizzle sound for you, people? That was good. Uh, you'll say oink oink. I'm just so happy I got Moinked. I know I am, and I know you will be too. Keep American farming uh, by going and signing up to moinkbox.com slash Ruben right now. And listeners of this show get a free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one of the best filet mignons you'll ever taste. But for a limited time, spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash Ruben. That's moinkbox.com slash Ruben. And now, back to me. A lot of talking for a guy that hasn't been in studio for a while. All right, so the big thing, of course, that happened over the last two weeks, a lot of big things happened. And the system fought back against a lot of the good things. We'll get to that in a moment. But the big thing that officially happened, because we were all dancing around it for about two weeks, is that Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, the founder of SpaceX, the Tony Stark of our time, and whether you agree with him on everything politically or not is irrelevant. The guy who is the richest man on earth decided to put his money where his mouth is and get involved in the free speech fight. And he officially has Twitter. So we've got some details from the Daily Wire. Twitter announced late on Monday that it has entered a definitive agreement to be acquired by Elon Musk for $54.20 per share in a deal valued at $44 billion. The transaction was unanimously approved by Twitter's board and is expected to close this year subject to the approval of Twitter's shareholders and other regulatory approval. Under the terms of the agreement, Twitter stockholders will receive 54.20 in cash for each share of Twitter common stock that they own upon closing of the proposed transaction, Twitter said in a statement. The purchase price represents a 38% premium to, quit to Twitter's closing stock price on April 1st, 2022, which was the last trading day before Musk disclosed his approximately 9% stake in Twitter. So what's interesting about this is, now you remember from two plus weeks ago, last I was in studio, one of the last things that I talked about was Twitter was about to take this poison pill. The board was going to ensure, the board, which owned less than 1% of the company, was going to ensure that Elon Musk could not buy the company. They were going to take this poison pill, in essence, for every share that he bought, they would issue more shares so he could never gain control of the company, even though he was paying this crazy premium on it. Now, that makes you wonder, what was the board trying to hide? If the board is not in the business of making money and selling to the highest bidder, then what business are they in? That's a question that I think still should be asked of all of those board members. But eventually, I think what happened 
uh, was that an awful lot of shareholders probably called their lawyers. And then those lawyers probably called the lawyers of the board members and said, you better sell this freaking thing to the richest man in the world who wants to uh, do more with it than you guys have been doing because the stock has basically been flat until he got involved with his 9% and then the stock started jumping. So something good happened here. Shareholders fought the board and eventually the board capitulated. And now there's gonna be a whole bunch of good things happening because I think we're gonna start finding out some of the ways that Twitter has been manipulating us. Uh, but Elon has already started explaining why he wanted to get into the fight for free speech and purchase Twitter. It's very important for uh, there to be an inclusive arena for free speech uh, where all, yeah, so uh, yeah. Um, Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Uh, it, it, it's just really important that people have the, both the, uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, and, you know, so one of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm um, and make any changes uh, to people's tweets, you know, if they're emphasized or de-emphasized, uh, that action should be made apparent so you can, anyone can see that that action has been taken. So there's, there's no sort of behind the scenes um, manipulation, either algorithmically or manually. All right, so what's amazing about this is all the guys talking about is free speech. Hey, we should have more transparency related to the algorithm. People should be able to speak freely within the confines of the law. I'm not gonna manipulate this thing politically or otherwise. That's why I wanna get in. But the reaction to Elon Musk getting Twitter has been completely insane by all of the people that seemingly want to control and manipulate all of you. All of the blue check people and the Washington Post journalists, the paper owned by another billionaire, Jeff Bezos, they're all freaking out. All he's saying is let's even the playing field, but there's a certain set of people that don't want an even playing field. I would like an even playing field. You guys, you like an even playing field? All right, everybody nodded. Even playing field, that would be good. Let this place become the new de facto Times Square. What, what we have, what we used to have was that there would be a place, right? The public square. Times Square is a type of public square, I suppose. There would be a public square in each town in America, and this is where you could get up on a box and you could yell, and if people wanted to listen, they would listen, and if they didn't want to listen, they didn't have to, and if you had righteous indignation and a cause, you could actually get out there and say what you want to say, right? Like, that's, that's what the public square is all about. And as long as you are not calling for violence and then the few other things that limit our free speech, like libel and slander, things like that, you're good to go. Um, Twitter became that thing. And look, we all may hate Twitter to a degree. You know my feelings. I have a very love-hate thing with it. It's a time suck and the algorithms have manipulated us and the shadow banning and all that stuff. But it has become the way we communicate and the tastemakers and the politicians and the culturally relevant people communicate. It just is. So we needed it to be fairer. We needed it to be, be something that would not manipulate the results of an election, say by hiding a story like the Hunter Biden laptop story, say by depressing the amount of followers that people could get. My guys just told me right now, so in uh, about three days after uh, Elon Musk bought Twitter, one of the things that people started noticing is people on the right, you're not gonna believe this, scary people on the right, their followers started exploding, exploding. 
Uh, and people on the left, their followers started dumping out. So I got about 100,000 new followers on Twitter in about three days. Uh, I'm told Ben Shapiro got about 400,000. And then we started seeing people on the left disappear. Now, is that because they're suddenly deleting all their bots that faked all of their influence? That might be something. Are they burning the documents? Are they shredding stuff over there? What is Elon going to uncover? Well, I'm a man of the world and I went on the Twitter machine and I tweeted at Elon Musk and he actually responded. I said, hey, Elon Musk, as long as you're digging, check into how the New York Times, Forbes, etc., bought their Twitter followers to fake influence. New York Times has 53 million followers and rarely gets 50 retweets. I could post a banana emoji and a picture of an 80s sitcom star and get more. And then I followed it up and this is my, this might be my greatest moment as a, as a broadcaster and a public person. I then tweeted out a banana emoji, and of course that is Sophia Petrillo, played by the wonderful actress Estelle Getty in the seminal sitcom The Golden Girls, which was aired on NBC on Saturday nights from 1985 to 1992. That got 63,000 likes. Uh, and then Elon Musk did respond to me, and he said, yeah, I noticed too, pretty weird. Now you can sort of see why the system was so against Elon Musk getting this thing. The New York Times supposedly 53 million followers, but they rarely get 10 or even 20 retweets on anything. They have faked all of their influence all of this time. And that's why the reality you see on the ground is so different than the reality we see online, right? Like that is the disconnect that Everything that we're in this fight over these last 20 years is that there, there is a new set of trusted people. There is a new set of people that are trying to bring some level of truth to the world. And then there are the old decaying things that faked it through money and endless bullshit and a bunch of blue check people who were willing to, to play their game, who were just endlessly willing to play their game. Uh, but then Elon tweeted out this, this image, which is really just spectacular. So this is an image, uh, he did not credit him, but the guy, I've met the guy who did this, his name is Colin Wright. Uh, and he had made up this image from a couple years ago. And I just look at this map, uh, or this image for just a second. And uh, I think this sums up where so many of us are at right now. So you can see uh, in 2008, Elon Musk, and he's basically saying that this is him, right? So you can see the me guy is sort of a little bit left of center and that the fellow liberal, yeah, he's a little bit maybe left of him, but that Elon saying, hey, I was a little bit left of center in 2008. Then four years later in 2012, what happened? The fellow liberal, the lefties, the progressives, they all went bananas. Do you think I know a little something about this? Was there a guy like me? Maybe I'm a guy like me screaming about this for years, why I left the left, et cetera, et cetera. And that the left just went bananas left crazy. Then flash forward nine more years. And then you've got the woke progressives and they are extremely far left now. And what that did was push a guy, this is what Elon Musk is saying about himself. It pushed a guy like Elon Musk to basically be center right. And then the conservative over there on the right is just LOLing like, see, see, we were right all along those people are bananas. I would say me personally, I'm probably a little bit closer to the LOL guy than to even where Elon Musk puts himself on this 2021 um, you know, spot. But that's sort of irrelevant. What he's hitting on there, and the fact that he even put that out, is he's saying, hey, me as a guy that wants to defend free speech, where does that put me on this, right? Where does this put me on this line of political stuff? political polarity. Well, if you basically defend free speech, 
You're pretty much on the right right now. You're pretty much conservative right now. If you want to defend America, you're pretty much on the right right now. You're pretty much a conservative right now. That's just how it is. Now, of course, there is another liberal out there, an old school liberal who gets it on one day, then doesn't get it the next day and seemingly uh, makes some sense and then makes no sense. Uh, we've talked about him a lot and uh, I've got a video here of him uh, getting it and also kind of not getting it. Uh, Bill Maher, ladies and gentlemen. You know what the Babylon Bee is? I didn't know this. No. It's like the Christian version of the onion. <laughs> because everyone needs that. Well, some people do. I thought that was They're not Fox all news. you and me, okay? It says you're trusted source for Christian news and satire. I didn't know there was such a thing as Christian satire. I thought the religion itself was satire. That's me. I'm not everybody. Okay? I'm not everybody. Have a little humility, right? So listen to this. They got flagged for, they posted a funny video. This is funny to them. Okay. Sensitive content, Twitter said. In the video, they were making fun of Twitter for being too sensitive. <laughs> this is so through the looking glass. In the, here's what happens in the video. This woman who, going into the Twitter building, this is, you know, parody. This is what people do on television and have done forever. Okay, she's complaining to HR about how sensitive Twitter is. And the guy shows her an ink blot, and she keeps seeing Hitler in all the ink blots. <laughs> Okay, then she runs screaming out of the building because she's... This is, sat, this is right. well within what satire has always been. And the fact that they flagged this for being insensitive shows their complete lack of self-awareness about what their own problem is. If that's where the line is, you have failed, Twitter. You yeah. do need a new show. All right, so Bill Moore. Once again, you pretty much get it. Now, he's also showing that he doesn't get it. He didn't even know what Babylon B was until they presented him with that segment. So it sort, of, it sort of shows you that he's out of touch of what actually is kind of funny right now and relevant and edgy and everything else. But he does something really nice there uh, when the other guy, the MSNBC guy, what's that guy? Ali Velshi, when he's like, ah, who needs it? Like, who needs Christian satire? And Bill Maher, even though he has spent an entire career making fun of Christianity and making fun of organized religion, he says, not everybody is me. Have a little bit of humility. That actually is a really nice moment. That's actually a really human moment for Bill Maher. So credit where credit is due, for sure. And then, of course, credit where credit is due, which is that he's defending satire. Now, unfortunately, he hasn't been screaming about all of the other censorship that Twitter has been doing for years, but again, I, I suppose at this point, the five last remaining good liberals are just slow motion conservatives. That's what they are. And I guess we just have to take it. That's okay. And maybe they'll fully get there. Uh, you know my feelings on all of that. Well, then there is this crazy lady who lies for a living. She is the number one liar in America. And she soon will be stepping down from her lying over at the White House to, a, to lie officially every day on the clown network known as MSNBC. Of course, I am talking about Jen Psaki. Oh, and by the way, during the, uh, the live shows that I did on tour, every time I said Psaki on stage, people had to drink. People were often wasted five minutes into the show. It was fantastic. Uh, but Jen Psaki, she's very concerned that Elon Musk and his desire for free speech and an even public square and a place where people can express their own views without government overreach, that's gonna, that's no good, we can't have that. 
And does the White House have any concern that this new agreement might have President Trump back on the platform? Well, I'm not going to comment on a specific transaction. Uh, what I can tell you as a general matter, no matter who owns or runs uh, Twitter, uh, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms, uh, what they ha the power they have over our everyday lives, has long argued that tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause. Uh, he has been a strong supporter of fundamental re reforms to achieve that goal, including reforms to Section 230, enacting antitrust reforms, requiring more transparency, and more. And he's encouraged uh, that uh, there's bipartisan interest in Congress. Uh, in terms of what hypothetical policies uh, might uh, happen, I'm just not going to speak to that at this point. Oh, that bitch is freaking out. You can feel it. You can feel it. You see, they're losing control of the narrative. They're losing. That's what's happening right here. This is all good today, show. I really want you to understand that this is all good. Elon Musk got it. He got the Twitter machine. He's opening it up and maybe Orange Man will be back. I heard Mike Lindell, my pillow guy, he was back for a few minutes, then he left again. But the point is they're opening this up and what freaks out this administration and the people that want to control you more than anything else, what freaks them out is that you might have a thought and you might get that thought out there and that thought might be against them, okay? Her line there, tech must be held accountable for their harms. How about the harms that you people that you freaks have been uh, smashing us with for the last year with the economy and the rest of the nonsense and gas prices and supply chain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what's Jen Psaki and old Joe Biden gonna do about it? Well, the big news of last week, and I was really like, I gotta get back in studio for this one. They've, uh, they've got a ministry of truth. We truly are in 1984. They've got a czar and this woman who's gonna be in charge of uh, dis information in America. This is an assault on the First Amendment like never before. And I'm fairly certain that if an orange man had done this, we'd be in the middle of an impeachment already. But here is Saki uh, defending the Ministry of Truth. I think what's important to note here is what the board is doing, which is continuing what is important disinformation related work that began under the former administration. The fact sheet that they put out, what they noted yesterday, what they noted in there is that this is meant to, uh, one, the first bullet was about protecting privacy, civil rights and civil liberties and the First Amendment. They said the primary mission is to establish best practices to, to, to ensure that efforts to understand and respond to disinformation are done in ways that protect privacy, civil rights, and civil liberties. I'd also note that the first example they gave uh, about what they're going to do is uh, is support the Department of Homeland Security's work, ongoing work, back to the former administration on to address how and understand how misinformation spread by human smugglers that prey on vulnerable populations attempting to migrate to the United States. You people are terrible, but we're winning. That's the point. Okay, so what you, they're doing here is now they've got their Ministry of Disinformation and they're gonna try to conflate it with somehow terrorist activities and human smuggling and all these scary things. But what they really mean is you, you person watching this and me sitting right here, they mean people that speak up against them. The First Amendment defends your ability to speak freely. The idea that the government now has an agency. I mean, this is 1984. Orwellian doublespeak with this woman. The idea that the government has now decided we're gonna look at disinformation and see what people can and can't say. This is an assault on the First Amendment. The free speech war is here. We seemingly were out of COVID now, right? We wrapped that thing up nicely. That was fun. Uh, now the free speech war is here. 
and you better decide what side you're on. That's, that's really where we're at with all of this stuff. Um, the government cannot do this. I mean, I guess they can do it until we say you can't do it. Uh, but just be very clear on what they mean by disinformation. Uh, very fine people, Trump, remember that? Uh, that was disinformation that they spread. If you, if you get the vaccine, you won't get COVID. That was disinformation that they spread. Uh, Breck Havano's a serial rapist. That was disinformation that they spread. Uh, Kyle uh, Rittenhouse is a racist. That was disinformation that they spread. The Covington kids are racist. That was disinformation that they spread. Jesse Smollett, that was disinformation that they spread. They lie about everything. Their entire machine is built on lying about absolutely everything. And what they are trying to do is make you afraid of saying anything about it. But it ain't going to work much longer. And by the way, don't think it's a coincidence. It is not a coincidence that Elon Musk buys Twitter and says, hey, we'd like to respect free speech. We'd like to have more voices on here. And as long as you're not breaking the law, you're good to go. And then basically within 24 hours, the Ministry of Truth appears out of nowhere, right out of the ether. How did that happen? Do you think that's a coincidence? I think not. Uh, and you may remember this guy, uh, this uh, Barack Obama guy. Do you remember this Barack Obama guy? Uh, he was a president before the orange man. And uh, now that he uh, is not president anymore, but he's sort of president because Joe Biden's obviously not in charge. He wants to make sure that uh, censorship is uh, happening everywhere. Yeah. Now, the good news is, is that almost all the big tech platforms now acknowledge some responsibility for content on their platforms and they're investing in large teams of people to monitor it. Given the sheer volume of content, this strategy can feel like a game of whack-a-mole. Still, in talking to people at these companies, I believe they are sincere in trying to limit content that engages in hate speech, encourages violence, or poses a threat to public safety. They genuinely are concerned about it. They want to do something about it. But while content moderation can limit the distribution of clearly dangerous content, it doesn't go far enough. More censorship from Barack Obama and the administration. He wants more and more and more and more. Now, what did he say there that was really interesting? Well, first off, there's the subtext to what he's saying. Notice he's only concerned about what you say online. Notice these people never are concerned about the lies of the mainstream media. All the stories that I just referenced 30 seconds ago, they never are like, oh, we really botched that one. Somebody's gonna get fired for that one. We really lied about that one, or we really hid that one. They're not concerned about mainstream media's lies. They're concerned about your lies. And what they mean by your lies or you are the truth, not your truth, the truth. But he said something very dangerous there. He says that they wanna limit hate speech, violence, blah, blah, blah. Now, the hate speech part is the, is the key to this thing. If you post a violent threat on Twitter, the law is now involved, right? If you say, I'm going to come and kill you, or I'm going to blow up that building, or a litany of other truly direct violent threats, we have laws around those things. But what he says and what he wants is that he wants them to limit hate speech. Now, first off, the Supreme Court has decided there is no such thing as hate speech, right? Because one person's hate speech is another person's free speech. People say awful things to me all day long on Twitter, all day long. Now, first off, there's a button you can press and I press the button. I think it was a swipe actually uh, with a quality filter and I just swiped it once and now I don't see 99% of it, right? You just don't. I don't know how the algorithm works. I don't know what they did there. I probably miss a lot of people saying nice things about me too, uh, but that's okay. I click that and then you know what you do? I found, I've found that there are, there are nodes of people 
that can instigate a lot of hate. So there's a lot of like big name lefties that hate me, right? So all I did was there's about 10 of them, let's say, I just block them. And then if you block them, they can't direct all of their people over to you. I, I didn't force anyone to be censored. Uh, that's what I did. But I get tons of hate. Hate comes my way all the time. Uh, and I don't ask for anyone to be censored, right? If they were directly threatening my life, now we got a bigger problem. And again, we already have laws about that stuff. So Obama's intentionally doing something here because he wants you to think that if you say anything against this regime, if you dare fight the Ministry of Truth and the rest of it, that you're engaged in hate. They are just amplifying everything they have done against all of us for years. Anyone who's a conservative, if you supported Trump, and eventually it'll be if you support DeSantis and everything else, that you're a hater and you should be censored because that's hate speech, even though hate speech doesn't exist. And again, remember, they never are concerned about the nonsense and the lies that the mainstream media push out. It's always us. Uh, but then yesterday, what was yesterday? It was the, no, it was Saturday night, was the White House correspondence dinner. And this is basically where the sort of, I would say, marginal swamp creatures of the media, they call it nerd prom. Uh, this is where these people get together and they put on tuxedos and they basically fillet, fillet, is that a word? Fillet? Not fillet. You get it. You get it. They massage. Thank you, Phoenix. They massage the president of the United States because he's a Democrat. So they like him. So they mostly make fun of Republicans the entire time. Uh, here's Biden. He, he gave a little uh, pre-written joke statement during the Essential thing. threat, climate change. The free press is not the enemy of the people. Far from it. At your best, you're guardians of the truth. President Kennedy once said, and I quote, without debate, without criticism, no administration, no country can succeed and no republic can survive. The First Amendment grants a free press extraordinary protection, but with it comes, as many of you know, a very heavy obligation to seek the truth as best you can, not to inflame or entertain, but to illuminate and educate. Oh man, this old windbag, nobody's listening anymore, dude. Nobody's listening, and you know what, why? Because you're pretending that the media is honest and good. You're pretending that the media would hold you to account. You're pretending that the media isn't all in on it with your political party. And at the same time, you're talking about the First Amendment. You're pushing for your ministry of truth to censor the people, the people who are against you. But thank God we've got some people right now who are feeling good and who are fighting it. And you know how you continue to fight it? You continue to fight it by every time they push more of their nonsense and they have to escalate the nonsense. I think this is where we're at right now. We're, enough of us are seeing it. We're all seeing it right now. So they have to keep escalating. That's all they can do with the nonsense. They, this is that scene. Remember that scene in V for Vendetta, if you haven't seen for a while, when uh, Supreme Chancellor Sutler, when he's like, he's like, we have to show the people how much they need us. That's, that's where we're in. Uh, that's where we're at right now. But they want this ministry of truth. So here's a little bit of that unbiased and fair corporate press that we've got defending the Ministry of Truth. Here's uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas on uh, CNN. Republicans are criticizing your decision, the administration's decision to choose Nina Jankowicz to lead this disinformation board. They say she is not somebody who is neutral. Your response? 
eminently qualified, a renowned expert in the field of disinformation. Absolutely so. Eminently qualified, a renowned expert in the thing of disinformation. Um, what eminently qualified for what? To stamp down on our free speech rights? Eminently qualified for a nonsensical organization, a nonsensical board that you people, she's qualified to stop people from talking. Can't you tell? She's qualified. She, she went to college. <laughs> awful humans. Uh, awful, awful humans. Uh, but they're, they're freaking out. And why are they freaking out? Because we're starting to be freed. We're starting to be freed and it has something to do with that Twitter thing we've been talking about. Uh, so here I think we've got, uh, is this Stelter? This is Stelter and he's freaking out because they've got the board, but, but we can still speak freely on Twitter. Look, who knows? I, I think that's, a, a, that's, a, that's a, a, an example of a broader question for Twitter, which is if you, uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Or are you going to decide to stay home? And that's a question for Twitter users. Some Twitter users might love the idea that there's going to be absolutely no moderation and no rules at all. Others might not want to be anywhere near that. Am I, am I crazy, Matt? No, no, you're right. And what, what happens to the advertising? I mean, if there's no moderation or little moderation, do the right. advertisers stay away? What does that do to the, yeah. the business prospects for Twitter? I think what we learned right there is that Brian Stelter has never been invited to a party. Has anyone in the history of the world ever been like, honey, honey, we're having that party tonight. Let's invite everybody. You want to have the Stelters over? Nobody's ever. Yes, yes, let's have the Stelters over. They're fun. Horrible human being. Oh, no, a place where people might get to speak freely. Oh, and people are going to have to decide if they want to go to that. No, I'd rather go to your party, Stelter. Ugh, ugh. But speaking of ugh, here's Liz Warren. Do you think it is clear that Elon Musk will be pro conservatives or Republican Party in the United States, or do you think that's a misreading of him? You know, for me, that's frankly not the most interesting question. I mean, it's, it's, he could be one way or the other, and it would still be wrong. The problem is one of power and concentrated right. power. It's about one person making all of the decisions about how tens of millions of people will have an opportunity to communicate with each other. That's where the problem is. God, she should have played an evil high school teacher in a horrible 80s movie. That's really what she is. She's so conflating things that she knows, understand. all he's saying is free speech. It is possible that one man could come in and do a good job with something. Now, what she really fears is that Elon Musk is not a big government suck up, right? He's gotten some benefits from the government, by the way. I think he's, I think he's more libertarian leaning, but if the government offers you subsidies for your companies, you take those subsidies. If there's places you can move your companies to pay less taxes, you move to those places. What she does not like about Elon Musk, there's two things. There's one that he won't just bow to government forever. Uh, but it's also that he's just saying free speech and there is nothing that lefties hate more than an equal playing field. They only win. They only win when they can silence you. They only win when they can confuse you as to what the issues are and when they can use all of their propaganda to make you think that up is down and left is right and boys are girls and two plus two is five and everything else. And that's what we're all now seeing. And what's interesting about all of this is that their nonsensical games are no longer working. So some of you may have seen this over the last couple of days, the New York Times, the failing somebody, there was an orange man who used to call it the failing New York Times. He was right about a lot of stuff, it turns out. 
the failing New York Times, all they've got left are lies and hit pieces. So they ran this, just this bananas hit piece on Tucker Carlson, just really just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous hit piece. And the thing is, it doesn't convince anyone. Yes, they've got their little sliver of brain, brainwashed blue NPC people that read it and think that Tucker Carlson's a Nazi, but everyone else just mocks the shit out of it. And they're actually aiding and abetting in their own destruction. It's quite beautiful, uh, but Tucker's doing the right thing, doing the right thing in the post-woke world, which is that you mock them, you fight back, and you continue to do good work. Tucker Carlson. This has gotta be the 10th or 27th or 217th story just like this, the New York Times is run, and all of them are pretty much identical. Racist, racist, racist. The latest version of the story is being written by a kid called Nick Confessore. Confessore seems a little more self-important than most of them, but essentially he's the same as the last guy and the guy before him, because on some level, all these guys are the same. They're obedient little establishment defenders who will say anything to please their bosses. They're suck-ups, brown nosers, lick spittles, not people you'd want to have dinner with. Anyway, the New York Times is calling us racist again, and we're still in the air, which shows you how well it works. But you've got to wonder, why do they keep doing this? If you wanted to criticize this show, there are plenty of things you could say. We've got a ton of supposedly controversial opinions on a million different topics. We talk about them every night. Big finance is wrecking America. Marijuana actually isn't medicine. Russiagate is totally idiotic, and so is the war it's now causing. Feminism is a corporate lie. Marriage makes you happy, so does raising your own children, and so on. We even think UFOs are real. So in some ways, by the standards of the New York Times, we're pretty far out, but they never mention any of that. And the funny thing is, the one thing we do not have exotic opinions on is race. Our view of race is really simple. We believe Martin Luther King. We don't think your skin color is the most important thing about you. We think all people were created by God and should therefore be judged by what they do, not by how they look. Okay, so New York Times runs this piece. Uh, Tucker does the right thing, which is calmly uh, fight back. But then he did this on Twitter, which this really is, it shows you where the shift is occurring. He just had someone take a picture of him, probably his wife at home, with that shit-eating grin, holding the New York Times, which he should be wiping his ass with, uh, the front page hit piece, on him and that is where we are at this is how you win you have better ideas you calmly explain yourself and you mock these freaks and then you build a better world that's what you got to do by the way that's what we're doing right here in florida and that will bring us uh to the next portion of the show big show today guys we're 40 minutes in big show uh ron DeSantis over here in florida who by the way you can see with me, yours truly, on June 2nd in Orlando at the Plaza Live. Get tickets at DaveRubin.com slash events. Well, Ron DeSantis also uh, knows a little something about the hit pieces. The same way that they ran all of that stuff on Tucker for years and they, uh, for, on Trump for years, and now they run it on Tucker and they've done it on guys like me and Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and a whole bunch of others. Let's not forget, the New York Times did once put my picture on the front of the Sunday paper saying that I lead people to the alt-right. Me, it was me. Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Milton Friedman, and Thomas Sowell. Great people, great people. Uh, but DeSantis is also firing back on this Ministry of Truth nonsense because everyone knows this has nothing to do with truth. It has everything to do with propaganda. Uh, but clearly, uh, our entire principles that the country was founded on 
Uh, you cannot have a ministry of truth in this country. And so let's get real here. Let's let's make sure that we're doing things to benefit uh, Floridians and Americans. Uh, but we're not going to let Biden get away with this one. So we'll be fighting back. Yeah, we're not going to let him get away with it. We're going to fight back. We're going to mock him. We're going to probably pass laws to make sure that the rights of Americans and your ability to protest the government and speak freely uh, will be strengthened here in a place like Florida because we're winning. Our playbook is working. The things that DeSantis has been fighting for and that Tucker has been fighting for and that Elon Musk has been fighting for, it's all working. We're getting post-woke, so they're getting more hysterical. They're getting more hysterical. And what have I been saying for a while? And what is this freaking book about? It's about you versus the system. The system is, is trying to scare the fuck out of you. Now that we've gotten past, oh, there, there we, oh, we got demonetized. No lunch for you guys today. Uh, but the system is trying to scare you guys. You get it? The more that they do this craziness, it's designed to scare you again because the COVID thing, the fear of COVID thing is starting to dissipate. So they need new fear. And now the new fear is don't say stuff because we've got a ministry of truth. But one man can beat it. Elon's one guy. DeSantis is one guy. Judge Mizell, the Tampa federal judge who reversed the mandate, is one person. All Tucker is one guy. And then I saw this one guy who I think is just great. He's just great. He was on the Glenn Beck program uh, discussing uh, DeSantis, Elon Musk, and the rest of it. Look, Disney lost $41 billion in the crazy. last three weeks. And why did it lose it? Because they've been infected. And then one man, Ron DeSantis, said no more. And that, that I love. The Me idea too. that one man, Elon Musk, is one man. Now, he may be an extraordinary person, and he's the Tony Stark of our time, and it's hard to imagine a guy sending mm -hmm. Teslas into space, but he's one guy, one guy who could have done whatever he wanted. If he wanted to put his family on a rocket tomorrow and disappear from Earth and mm -hmm. all of our mortal problems, gone, he mm -hmm. could do it. But instead, he got into the biggest fight possible, the free speech fight. Elon Musk is one guy. Ron DeSantis is one guy. Judge Mizell, the 35-year-old female Trump-appointed judge in Tampa, who just said, nope, no more mask mandates. And then what happens? Everybody rips them off. COVID isn't going crazy for the last two mm -hmm. weeks. One woman. So we just need the individual to say no to the machine. The individual to say no to the machine, but you have to really know what you're doing. You have to know what they're doing, and then you have to know how you are going to fight back. Now, you might have heard of this, uh, they tell me five foot nine, Orthodox Jew, they, five foot nine, I think five foot eight seems, well, whatever it is, uh, this Ben Shapiro fellow over at the, uh, the Daily Wire, uh, he had a great little rant. He does his little fast talking rants. He is also a new Floridian, by the way. Uh, he basically laid out what Republicans have to do uh, to fight back. One of the fears that I think a lot of conservatives have, and it's a perennial fear, is that the Republican Party somehow gains power again, nationally speaking, and then doesn't do its job. Uh, it always feels as though the ratchet only works one way, that the best that Republicans can do is sort of the William F. Buckley routine. You stand on the rails of history shouting stop. But it turns out the train just keeps sort of moving you down the track, maybe just a little bit more slowly. And when you look at how the Republican Party in the past has treated power, you do see that. You see the Republican Party spending enormous amounts of money. You see the Republican Party shying away from the most important cultural battles. I mean, you've taken a lot of these battles head on, but there are many other governors who are Republicans who have run screaming from these battles, gone on national television, criticized you. For, for taking part in that battle. How do you think the Republican Party needs to change in order to become more of a fighting party for conservatives? Well, look, I'm doing the best I can for the people of the state. That's what motivates me. But we, we're on offense, and we're not just going to sit there 
uh, and let the left define the agenda. We're not going to let the media define the agenda. We are going out and we are getting in front of issues that matter to people. And I'm able to do that partially because since I've been governor, I have not taken a single poll. I don't know. I just know I grew up here. I was raised here. I was born here. Uh, I know the folks. I get out every day in different communities and talk to people, and I know what I believe. And so my job as a leader is to set the course, uh, execute on my vision, and if you do that successfully, people will get your back. People will follow. And so that's a different model, I think, than the typical Republican has had, because I think they're always so gun-shy about, oh, well, if we do this, the media is going to criticize us. You know, when I was in Congress, they wouldn't send subpoenas about things like the IRS scandal because they were worried about the media criticizing them for overreach. And I thought to myself, like, this is nuts. You're neutering your own your, yourselves. So I think what these Republicans have to understand is you cannot let corporate media curtail your agenda. That You cannot be worried about what they're going to say. These are bad faith actors. They are not operating in ways that are fair. And their whole job is to try to concoct narratives that are going to benefit our political opponents and that are going to kneecap our own agenda. So what I don't do is I do not respond to corporate media pressure. I don't respond to corporate media criticism. Heck, the way I view it is, if they're criticizing me, I must be over the target. I must be doing something right. And that's just how we have to be. You feel it, guys? This is how we win. He is one man, and he ain't going anywhere. How do I know? He said it himself. I don't care what corporate media outlets say. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what big corporations say. Here I stand. I'm not backing down. Yeah, here I am. And guess what? Here I am. And there's Tucker Carlson. And there's Ben Shapiro. And there you are. Whatever you do in your life to say enough is enough. Vote all of these people out. Do not give them your respect or your money or your attention or anything else. And thus, we will win. I think this is the longest show we've ever done. We're at basically 50 minutes right now. This is very exciting. I'm feeling good. I go for another seven, eight hours. But uh, before we get to the cold close, I want to get to some uh, local comments. Uh, Olaf says, I wonder if Twitter has been cooking their books. Well, that's what we're going to find out, right? Like, how did I suddenly get 100,000 followers in three days when I normally get about 500 followers? How am I suddenly seeing a whole bunch of people in my feed that I used to not see. I mean, if Elon really unearths this, just think of the ways we may have been manipulated. I'm not talking about the obvious stuff, like whatever they did related to the Hunter Biden laptop and whether emails are gonna come out that the administration, the oncoming administration or the Obama administration or whatever else, whatever, whatever lackeys and government agents may have had connections at Twitter. I'm talking about all of the other stuff. Were employees reading DMs? Were people being shadow banned in ways that you just never saw anything anymore? Did they suppress certain stories? Is that happening on YouTube right now? I have no doubt. I have no doubt that they can push you to believe certain things and they can hide other things and a whole bunch more. So this stuff is coming out and that's why we now have a ministry of truth. Do you get it? The stuff's coming out, the people are seeing it and they can't have the people seeing it. And that's really what this is all about. All of this, this everything we've talked about today is that some people are waking up and going, boy, I, it's, it sure does seem like something weird's been going on around here. I'd like to talk about it with some of my other fellow citizens. And then there's a whole bunch of people uh, that are going, no, 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 we know better than you. We've got 
what did, what did uh, Mayorkas say about her? She's well qualified and she's good. And you know, you're gonna be good. Uh, Patrick says, notice how the conservatives on Elon's diagram stayed in the same place. Unlike the left, we have remained true to our principles. That's interesting. If, can we throw that image up again for just one second? So Elon tweeted out the image. We'll get it for you in just a sec. There you go. That the conservatives basically stayed in the same place. Now, what's interesting is I think you can argue that over the years, the conservatives actually moved somewhat leftward in that, say, on gay rights or on gay marriage, right? That we, we thought of that as a left thing. Now, I think you can also argue it from a right perspective, like just stay out of my bedroom. Uh, but in essence, the conservatives pretty much did stay roughly the same or maybe a little bit to the left. And that's what having principles is all about. If you have some principles, then regardless of whether a Democrat's in office or a Republican's in office, you'll still know what you believe. The left has decided that all of their principles are only based in who is in power and how they can attain power. So you can get them to do crazy things and constantly say crazy things and be completely bananas and then bring in a ministry of truth to defend it. Uh, but we will win. Uh, David, great name, says, can't wait to see DeSantis in Orlando. I just purchased my tickets. Awesome. Looking forward to seeing you. Uh, it's going to be a great night. And as I said, he specifically told us nothing is off limits. I'll do my talk. He'll do his talk. The belly of the beast right in Disney's home country. Maybe they'll send some of the he, she, genderless uh, Disney employees. They're welcome to come too. I'll put them up in the front row if they want to come. That'll be fun. Uh, you can get your tickets at daverubin.com slash events. Big show, people. Oh, if you didn't catch it, I put up an interview last week that we had shot the week before. We shot it actually in my house because Douglas Murray, uh, one of the great thinkers that we've got on this planet Earth, uh, was here in Miami and I, w I really wanted to do it in person. So we shot it in my house. Uh, British conservative author, Douglas Murray, his new book, War, uh, The War on the West is out right now. The full episode is up on YouTube and on Rumble and of course on Blaze TV. And uh, wow, 53 minutes. We set a Rubin Report record. One month from today, by the way, I'll be in Orlando with Ron DeSantis in case you hadn't heard. And uh, we're back in business. Everybody's going to have lunch today. We got a whole bunch more to do. It's good to be back in studio. I look forward to seeing you guys back out on the road in about two weeks. And uh, our cold close because, you know, if, uh, if I'm wrong about all this, at least we've got Joe Biden. America. God bless you all. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Rubin Report Direct Message. We're live on Rumble, Blaze TV, and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And if you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.